So our current preaching series, which we bring to conclusion today, are we there yet? Getting from here to there. This series has been based on the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, and specifically we have been considering what we can learn from this biblical account that will help us, not only as individuals, but as a church, successfully navigate the journey from where we currently are to where God is leading us. And so we have said that embracing these necessities will not only help us successfully arrive at our destination, but also allow us to benefit significantly from the journey itself. And so where have we been? Well, we talked about godly discontentment. Change occurs when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Then we went to committed leadership, leaders who are humble, prepared, secured, empowered, and godly on every level. From there, we went to proper perspective, choosing, because it's a choice, to see through the eyes of God and His promises rather than human eyes and circumstances. Then we went to unwavering obedience. Genuine relationship, we said, with God is rooted in unwavering obedience to Him. Then last week, we talked about complete trust. Awareness that we are not able to make the journey without God's help, without partnering with him. Us doing what he's asking us to do and he doing what only he can do. Today, I'm going to talk about active faith. And I said in the beginning, there's many more themes, but, but we've just chosen six to, uh, for this particular series. But today, we're going to look at active faith. Let's, let's watch this together. Our faith is... It's kind of like a... Uh, uh, could you hold the camera? I just need to think. Faith. God? Faith is not far. Faith is when you have courage to do something and you do it and you believe you can do it. Uh, um, if you like think that you can't do something but then you believe that you can do it. It's when you believe something before you see it. And you're obeying God. Is that right? Or is that the wrong answer? Faith. Well, sometimes it's hard to explain faith. Of course, unless you're the kid with the button-up shirt right to the neck and then you know all the answers. Sometimes it's difficult to explain faith. For the purpose of this message this morning, I would define active faith as trust in God put into action. Trust in God put into action. That we do what he asks, even if it seems impossible, overwhelming, or intimidating. And so today's necessity, act of faith, is found in Joshua 1.6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. And so as we take a look at Joshua, the beginning of the book of Joshua this morning, we're going to consider 
the assignment that God gives him, the ascent to the assignment from not only Joshua, but the leaders and the people themselves, and the action taken by Joshua, the leaders and the people, to fulfill what God had asked them to do. So let's start today with the assignment. This text is about 40 years later from the time the Israelites originally found themselves at the Jordan River. They're now back at the Jordan River. They're once again looking across at the land that God had promised to Abraham. And once again, the goal of the journey is in view. Now much has changed since the last time they were there. The last time they were there, Moses was their servant, was their leader. But now we're told Moses, who was God's servant, who led them out of Egypt, who spent the last 40 years in the wilderness with them, is dead. And now the new leader, Joshua's assistant, or sorry, Moses' assistant, Joshua, is now the new leader of the people of God. The generation that failed the last time they stood in this place has also died off in the wilderness. Passing through the Red Sea was necessary on their departure from Egypt, and now passing through the Jordan River will mark their entry into the promised land. And so in the midst of this context, God spoke to Joshua and he said, Get ready, Joshua. We're going to cross the river into the land that I have promised to Israel. It's time to possess the land. But however, Joshua, you need to understand there's some things you need to know as you're getting ready to go in. The first is, the land I'm going to give you is occupied already. And in order to possess it, I will lead you into battle against your enemies and you will need to fight. It's not going to be easy. Israel will engage in these battles, but the battle is God's to win. And so when we look in chapter 1, we see statements like this. I will give the land to you. No one will be able to stand against you. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will, you will inherit the land I promised to your forefathers. And so the land is occupied. The enemies will need to be defeated. But God is promising victory to Joshua and the children of Israel. And then we have the first of the three be strong and courageous statements. Now, interestingly, in the original Hebrew language, the word strong and courageous are actually the same word. They're the same word. And so what, what God is saying to him is, Joshua, I need you to be confident. I need you to be firm. I need you to stand firm. Basically, what God is saying to Joshua here is, Joshua, I need you to have an active faith. I need you to put your trust in me into action by confidently doing what I'm asking you to do. The second thing, Joshua, is that your success is contingent on your obedience to my law. It's a non-negotiable, Joshua. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Stay centered on it. Meditate on it day and night. Don't just read it. Don't just memorize it. Meditate on it. Reflect on it. Wrestle with it. Apply it. Live it out, Joshua. 
And the result is you will be successful and you will be prosperous. Now, those are words that get our attention. What does it mean to be successful and prosperous? Well, successful in the things he desires them to do. In God's language here, success is faithfulness to doing what God asks, what God has promised to them. And prosperous in the things he wants them to have. Prosperity here doesn't mean, oh, if you do these things, Joshua, you're going to be rich and you're going to have an abundance and you're going to have an excess of material things. That's, that's not what it means. It refers to having one's needs met. And so, you know what, Joshua? If you stay to my word, you're going to be successful because you are faithful to me and you're going to be prosperous. That means I'm going to look after you. I'm going to make sure you all have what you need. And then we have the second, be strong and courageous. But this time, there's an additional word in there. Be strong and very courageous. Interesting. The truth is, it's going to be much more difficult to follow God's laws than it's going to be to defeat the armies of the enemy. And so God says, when it comes to keeping my law, Joshua, you got to be very strong. you got to be very firm. you got to stand. And then the third thing I need you to know, Joshua, is that even though I'm with you and I'm fighting for you, you need to remember that you're only human after all. Being faithful to me, obeying me, facing the opposition with me will have a negative impact on you. It's going to wear you down, Joshua. It's going to impact you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And he says, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. Don't get discouraged when things seem to be going different than I promised you. I'm going to be right there with you, Joshua, wherever you go. And then we have the final, be strong and courageous. Face your fears, Joshua. Don't let them hold you back. Don't get discouraged along the way. Now, obviously, the most significant assignment here, the overall assignment, is to lead the people to the promised land. But in order for that to happen, Joshua's primary assignment is to have active faith. Putting his trust in God into action. So that as he works with God, he can see all that God has promised realized in his life and in the life of the nation. The second we see is the ascent. Immediately after receiving the assignment, Joshua went to the leaders, the officers of the people, the tribal representatives, if you will. And he said to them, listen, I need you to go through the camp and I need you to tell the people to get ready because in three days from now, We're going to cross the Jordan right here. And you will go in and you're going to possess the land that the Lord is giving you and it will be your own. And so Joshua went to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half of uh, Manasseh and because right now the Israelites are on the west side of the River Jordan. And if any of you are familiar with the map of of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of Manasseh are located on the west side of Jordan, and the rest of the tribes are located on the east side of the Jordan. And so he goes to the leaders of these groups, 
And he says to them, listen, I know that Moses promised you that the land we're on right now is actually going to be your land. But what I need you to do is I need you to leave your wives here and your children here and your livestock here. And I need you to cross over to the other side with your brothers so you can help them fight and fight with them. And once all is settled and everybody is settled in, you can come back to this side to your families and settle in. And the response from these two and a half tribes, their representatives, was this. Whatever you have commanded, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. And they say, and may God be with you, Joshua. Interestingly enough, only be strong and courageous. You know, sometimes God uses other people to remind us of the things that he's promised to us. And so he says, we'll do it. But remember, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Have active faith. Put your trust in God in action, Joshua. Next, Joshua sent two spies into the land. When they returned, they reported and they said, the Lord has surely given us this whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. I mean, it's not too long ago that we looked at the last time spies went in. What a change from last time. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. Get yourselves ready. Consecrate means to set yourself aside for God. That these these are instruments that God will use that are holy. Consecrate yourselves. Because tomorrow, God will do amazing things among you. And then early the next morning, they all gathered at the Jordan River. The leaders and the people have heard about the assignment that God had given to Joshua. There's no pushback. There's no rejection. There's no complaining this time. They all give their assent. If God is asking us to do this, if God is promising this to us, then we're willing to do what he asks. We're willing to have active faith. To stand with you, Joshua. We are willing to put our trust in God and to put that into action. And then you have the action. Joshua willingly received God's assignment. The Israelites willingly committed themselves to be faithful to what God was asking. But up until now, their trust was not challenged to action. They weren't challenged to demonstrate their faith in God by taking action. And so now they're being given instructions. And the instructions are these. When you see the ark of God and the priests who are carrying it move out, you are to follow it. Because then you will know where to go. I love this. Because you've not been here before. You've not been here before. Oh, maybe in your mind you have, in your imagination you have, but you have not been here before, so it's important for you to keep your eyes on the ark and on the priests that are carrying it because the ark represented God's presence in their midst. It's God's communication point with his people. And so he's reminding them that it's God that will lead them. This is not their own plan. This is not their own strategy. This is not, well, we've done this before, so we know how to do it. No, God will lead them. They're in new territory. 
They've never been here before. And the priest took up the ark and they started out. And they're told to stand in the river and God would stop the flow of the river. And what I love here is that, again, there's no hesitation here. There's no questioning. There's no, they're, just, they're just doing what God is asking. We're told that the river is in flood season. The river is in flood season. It is deeper than normal. The current is stronger than normal. The walled city of Jericho is right there in view. They can see it waiting for them on the other side. But there is no hesitation. Their trust is about to become faith as they step out in obedience to God. And as soon as the priest's feet, I love that too, nothing happens until they step out. As soon as the priest's feet touched the water, the water stopped flowing. And the priest stood as directed in the middle of the river as the people crossed over to the other side. And God said, before the priests come out, there's one more thing I want you to do. I want you to send 12 people, one representing each of the tribes, go back into the river, and I want you to take a stone, all 12 of you, and I want you to create a structure on this side over here so that it'll be a memorial. Because somewhere down the road, there's going to be a generation that didn't cross this river with you today. They're going to hear the stories. Maybe the stories are going to stop being told. But this monument will serve as a reminder of that time as a sign for future generations of what the Lord did for Israel on this day. And so they took the stones and they brought them out of the river and the priest with the ark came out of the river and the river restored its flow and here they are now on the other side standing literally in the promised land. So what are a few thoughts that we can apply to our lives here? Well, if we are going to go from where we currently are as individuals and as a church to where God is leading us, it's going to require active faith in God. And I want to consider five very brief insights. The first one's a little longer, so don't get spooked by that. The first one I want to talk about is faith. Faith is sometimes difficult to explain. And the result of that is that we have a wide range of definitions and explanations of what faith is for us. For some people, they have what we might call passive faith. They have a set of beliefs that they hold. They may believe in God, or they may believe in Jesus, or they may believe that the church is a good group and does good things. They, they, they may believe the Bible is God's word. They, they have a set of beliefs that they hold, but their beliefs don't necessarily impact or change their lives on a, on a daily basis in any way. They hold the beliefs, but those beliefs aren't translated into values which translate into action. They're just beliefs that we have. 
Certainly no element of risk involved with passive faith. You just hold those and you just leave them there. They're a comfort when we need them. And so if we're going through crises or hardship, then we always know that we can run to our faith to find comfort in those times. Now the challenge of passive faith is you believe enough to make you feel comfortable that you're okay. But not enough to live our lives as Jesus calls us to. And another issue is that if passive faith is a part of our lives, it's very common for passive faith to be blended with other belief systems. So it's not uncommon for someone to have a passive faith in the things of God, but also hold New Age philosophy, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of power of positive thinking, and it comes together in this beautiful melting pot of passive faith. I'm being sarcastic when I say beautiful melting pot. It is a melting pot. Then there are others who are the other extreme. They might have what we would call hyperfaith. Ever meet someone with hyperfaith? They believe that if they can conjure up enough belief within, and if they can avoid any speech that would disqualify their faith, that they can move the hand of God to do what they want and give them what they're asking for. I've seen that many times. The problem with this type of faith is that it puts the focus of faith on the believing person's ability to reach a certain level and to maintain a certain focus instead of our faith flowing from our simple trusting God. The other thing I've noticed about hyperfaith is that it's often motivated by either personal desires or a need to escape hardship. And so God's blessing is measured in the arena of hyperfaith in terms of materialism. That my faith has allowed me to have this, this car, this house, these clothes, these trips, this, this jewelry, so on and so forth. God's blessing is measured in health. You know, that, that because of I have hyper faith, I'm never sick. And even when I am sick, I don't say it because that'll ruin my faith. So I'm going to pretend I'm not sick. Hmm. Or maybe it's in terms of success. Well, you know, I have this faith because I want to be successful. Or one of the favorite words is favor. God's favor. Everything from the parking lot at the mall to the promotion at work to whatever else. You have extremes. You may know where I land on both of those. Neither. But God is calling us, I believe, to active faith. Where our trust in God is put into action. And when you have active faith, you do what he asks, even if it's difficult to do. You do it because he wants you to do it. You do it even though it may seem impossible. Have you ever felt God asking you to do something and you said, God, that's not even possible. It's not possible. Active faith meanings having belief that impacts your life on a daily basis. That you don't just believe certain things, but you value what you believe to the point that you live them out. 
Your beliefs shape how you live. I know that probably seems pretty basic within the context of Christianity, but the truth is, it isn't. That we are actually shaped by what we believe. It changes how we live. It changes how we do marriage. It changes how we raise kids. It changes how we go to how we are at work. It changes how we are in our neighborhood. It changes how we spend money. It changes how we use our gifts. It changes how we use our time. When what we believe impacts our actions, it changes our lives. It shifts our focus away from ourselves. In the midst of a culture that tells us that we are the most important, that the best version of ourselves is our goal. Active faith shifts the focus from ourselves. It shifts it from our problems. It shifts it from our wants and our needs and our desired outcomes. And it walks in obedience to God so that he can work in and through every situation in our lives so he can show his faithfulness to us and accomplish the work of his kingdom. Faith. Secondly, battles. Even when we know with certainty that God is leading us, there will be battles to fight and there will be obstacles to overcome. God knows better than anyone that there will be times when the circumstances of life will have a serious impact on us, will wear us down physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Times when we will be afraid. Times when we will lie awake in the night with worry. Times when we will be discouraged that we can hardly get ourselves up in the morning and get going because we are so discouraged. God understands that more than anyone. But living with active faith is not a pain-free life. It will not be easy. But what makes the difference in choosing to live a life of active faith is that we are inundated with the assurances of God that He is with us. That nothing can destroy us. That He will never leave us or forsake us. That He is true to his promises. And so with that, we engage in the battles. We fight alongside as he leads and as he guides, allowing him access to work in it, even though it is painful and it is difficult because we know that ultimately the victory will be his, which means the victory will be ours. Thirdly, success. God's definition of success is simply faithfulness to him. And I think that's why Mother Teresa once said, God has not called us to be successful. He's called us to be faithful. I think that's what she was wrestling with there. As she would go out every day into the lowest of the lowest of society, the marginalized, those that no one wanted to touch or love or care for, and just give herself willingly by, while wearing the simplicity of what looked like a flannel bedsheet, and give her life daily with those who worked alongside to make the lives of others better, to show them some dignity in the love of God, and to care for his creation. She understood that she could have been in places where she held high positions and would have been deemed successful. But she understood 
that success in God's economy is faithfulness. And folks, the truth is, let's be brutally honest, we are drawn to success. We are drawn to success for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we're drawn to success to prove to others that we can be successful. Those people who said you'll never be anything. When your circumstances said you never have a hope of ever being successful, it's going to keep you down and you set out to prove that you can be successful so you can prove to the world that they were wrong about you. Sometimes we're long to be successful because we have selfish ambition. Ambition. We want that. We want the success. We want the stuff that success brings. Sometimes it's to get the praise of others. I want to be successful so other people will notice. I want my family to see. I want my friends to see. I want the people I work with to see. I want them. I want the accolades of other people. I want them to stop and recognize that I am successful. But we also allow the world's definition of success to shape how we evaluate life in God's kingdom. And this is one that I'm really wrestling with these days in my own soul. Because I can pick up a thousand books that will tell me how to have success in ministry. I can pick up 10,000 books to tell me how I can have success in ministry. And within church culture, when you go to conferences and you read the books and the articles and you hear the dynamic speakers, this is what you hear that success is. I turned the church around. I had success. And now we have a strong bottom line. Financially, we're in the block. Or we went from this size group to that size group. Pentecostals love numbers. We invented the term upwards to. We invented that. It means if you have 101, it's upwards to 200. We love numbers. We love numbers. You throw out numbers, and I'll tell you, I can preach here for six months, but some visitor comes here and gives you 12 numbers, and some of you are bouncing off the ceiling, right? Numbers, this many people, this and this many people. We love numbers. Well, if you've got a strong financial number and your attendance is growing, well, that's success. And if your programs are excellent and you have a lot of them, numbers, then that's really good. And if you're doing it all in a facility that's modern and, 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 and advanced, then that's success. Now, nothing wrong with those things. I mean, who doesn't want to, you know, to finish in the block and have lots of people and run great things in a nice building? I mean, we, we all want that. But the truth is, The truth is, you can have all of that and not be successful in God's eyes. You can be successful in the eyes of of everybody else, but God's like, seriously, you think I'm impressed? Like, do you think that impresses me? You can have all of that and not be successful in God's eyes because you might have all that and still not be faithful to do what he's asking you to do. And on the flip side, you've got this little church in this out-migrating community that's in decline. And they can't grow their kids' program because there's hardly any kids left in the community to reach. They're struggling financially. They're trying to come up with creative ways to generate some money to keep the doors open. 
They can't run the programs they want to do because they don't have enough people to do it. And they're doing it in a building that seems to be falling down around them and still has orange carpet or this on the floor. And all seems like failure. And God looks at that little church and the heart of what they're doing and their obedience to him and says, now that's success. Why? Because they're being faithful to me. All they care about is faithfully serving me. And so we're wrestling with this reality. Success in God's eyes is faithfulness. Prosperity in God's kingdom is not getting everything that we desire or think we need. It's God meeting our daily needs and taking care of us day by day as we faithfully serve him. And so in a world that tells us otherwise, if we're ever going to accomplish anything of significance for God, we're going to have to shed the world's expectation of success. It doesn't mean we don't do things with excellence. It doesn't mean we don't work hard and try hard and be the best we can be. Of course we should. But you can still do all of that and never ring the bell of what culture will say is a successful church. And the question is, can you live with that? Can you live with that if you're being faithful to God? Fourth response. Right response is important to active faith. Now, I'm not saying we should be mindless or not have an opinion. or I'm not saying that. But I'm going to tell you, there was a big difference from the first time they were at the edge of that river and 40 years later when they're back there again. There's a big difference. And you can't just brush that off. No debating God. No resistance. No complaining. No waiting for the right emotions to be inspired to do the right thing. But doing what is right because it is right. Doing what is right because God asked us to. And I believe that if we're ever, ever going to get to the place where God does in our lives and takes us in our lives, where we long for at the depth of our soul and our being, we will need to be like the people of Israel and say to God, we'll do what you ask and we'll go where you send us. My life is yours, God. All that I have is yours. It's yours. Use it as you want. Can you imagine how our lives would change? Imagine who'd be living in our houses with us. Ooh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Imagine who'd be using our car. Imagine who would be sharing certain things. Imagine how much less we would be learning to live on so we could pour into the lives of others. We'll do what you ask. We'll go where you send us. My life is yours. Everything you've given me is yours. However you want to use it, it's yours. I mean, that's radical, right? Who wants to hear this stuff? That's what God's calling us to. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. It's all yours. But the truth is, folks, it's one thing to say it. And it's another thing to actually live it. It's one thing to sing the songs of commitment. There's another thing to walk out of this building and live what we just sung. Active faith steps out. It does what God is asking even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it's intimidating if you know that you know that you know that it's God. We have to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
And as we said earlier in this series, our future is not in our past as wonderful as our past may have been. Now, some of you may say, my past was horrible, so I'm great not to go back there. But some people, it's not like that. Their past was great. Their past church experiences were great. Our future is not in our past. Folks, we've never been here before. You think you've been there and you've seen it and done it all, I know. But you haven't been here before. When God is doing a new thing, you haven't been there before. Sometimes we're a lot more comfortable resurrecting things we did before that we're familiar with, that we seem to feel that we had success with, than we are in stepping out and saying, well, never done this before. But let's go. Let's do it. It's harder when something, it's something we've never experienced. And we need to rely on his leading like we never have before. Because we don't know what we're doing without him. And finally, testimony. Our faith is strengthened when we remember what God has done in the past. That's the value of focusing on the, on the past. That's the value of the past. And it's important that the next generation know and hear about what God has done in our lives. We got to take up that responsibility. We got to take it up in our homes. We got to share it in our small groups. We got to share it in our friendships. We got to share it in our church. I come from a storytelling culture. We're storytellers. On occasion, we exaggerate a little bit, but we are storytellers. And I remember sitting in, in, in my culture, the main visiting room is the kitchen. That is the hub of activity. In my house, it was the largest room in the house. It had a, a day bed, which is, this is my retirement dream. My dad would roll off from the dinner table onto the day bed. I mean, dear Lord, does it get any better than that? Forget golf and seashells. Give me a day bed. There's a day bed. There's an odd chair here and another odd chair over there. And there's four or five odd chairs around the table that doesn't match. And all these people are gathered in there unexpectedly, right? They just show up. Didn't know they were coming, but luckily you got a can of tin ham about this big in the cupboard. That and a few crackers and this and that and a cup of tea. And the next thing you're all set, right? And sometimes the stories were about hunting trips and this and that, but without fail, there were moments where as a kid, you'd sit there and you're, you're listening to everything these adults are saying, and they're talking about their experiences with God. See, I, I'm old enough that my parents were around when, when their church was literally rocked with the Pentecostal movement. And so they're talking about their stories about, their terminology was when, when the Spirit fell. <laughs> that was their terminology. And how it impacted them. And how it impacted their families. And, and stories of miracles and healings and God's intervention. And it just goes, and you're sitting there as a kid and you're just, you're just taking it in. And the sad thing sometimes is we think the only stories we have are ones from 60 years ago. We're not telling the stories the same. Of course, in my church, we had to suffer through testimony meeting. It was painful. You can say what you want to me. You can't glorify it. It was painful. 
It was. I, I knew almost everybody's testimony in the church. I would recite it as they were saying it. Except for the woman that says, I have another one that I use sometimes. I didn't know that one so much. You know what I'm saying? I heard of sister so-and-so. And how many times did I hear the story of the time she was lost in the snow? And, but eventually at some point I realized, that's quite amazing that God did that in her life. That's quite amazing. We heard stories. We told stories. We told our kids. My family thinks we're the only people in Mississauga that actually sit down together in the nighttime for supper and call it supper. And they're probably right. But those moments of sitting around the table where you don't just talk about your day, but you're talking about the things of God. One of the highlights of 2017 for me was the fourth advent that we did at home in our family on Christmas Eve morning. I can't tell you what that meant to me. I thought I was just going to do this five minute, let's do this thing. Mark put all this work into it. I'll be able to say to him, yeah, I did it. Right, right. (laughs) You're welcome. We're sitting around the living room. We're listening to the teaching. All of a sudden, it's an hour later and we're still having conversation about God and the things of God. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. I can't tell you the last time I had that moment, this moment with my family. My older kids don't even live here anymore, but we're having this conversation. It's amazing. The point is, we talk about lots of things. Talk how the Blue Jays are doing, and the Leafs are doing, and who's going to win the Super Bowl, and where we're going today, and how hard your day was, and you know, if you're buying a new car, or whatever you're doing. You talk about all those things, but are we talking about the things of God? Are we telling them? That this is how God radically changed my life. This is once where God intervened and worked a miracle in me or in your uncle or in your grandparent. And this is their story. This is their story. That doesn't eliminate the need for God to do new things in our lives. But what it does is it strengthens our faith to walk with God into the new adventures into the new risk, into the new challenges. We sing a song and we don't even know what it means. Here I lay my Ebenezer. What, what is that? Like Scrooge? What is that? No, an Ebenezer is a monument when you take 12 stones out of a river and pile them there so the generations to come don't forget what God did. That's an Ebenezer. That's why we build our Ebenezers. So the generations to come have a moment where we can say, do you see that? Let me tell you about the time. Let me tell you about the time. It's like I said a couple of weeks ago. The momentum to move forward on a swing is found in going backward. That's the value of going back. Going back so we can move forward. Not going back so we can stay back. When we reflect on God's faithfulness in the past, we're reminded that God will be faithful in the future. Folks, I believe to the core of my being that there will be a day when my girls experience God in ways that I've experienced God. Maybe different than I did, but with the same impact as their grandparents did and their great-grandparents did. That they defy the, the statistics that say every denomination dies, every revival dies with the fourth generation because the people are so far removed they don't even know the impact of it anymore. So how do you overcome that? You tell the story. 
you build the Ebenezer. You take the stones from the river. And you're not afraid to have the conversation. Some of us are more comfortable having a conversation about anything and everything than we are to have a conversation about God. Why? Have the conversation. Tell the story. Make sure they know. What they do with it, that's their business. But make sure they know. There's a story here. Where you are now, there's a story that got us here. This is God's story. Worship team, would you come back? If we're going to get from here to there, from where we are to where God is leading us, it's going to take active faith. It's going to take putting trust in God into action. Doing what he asks, even if it's difficult, even if it's impossible, even if it's painful. Living with active faith is not a pain-free life. We're not, it's not going to be easy. But we have the assurance that God's with us. Success in God's kingdom is faithfulness to what he's asking us and where he's leading us. And prosperity is God meeting our needs and taking care of us. And our response to God's leading should always be, we'll do what you ask. We'll go where you, where you send us. And God's faithfulness in the past will serve as a reminder that he will be faithful in the future. Folks, sometimes we live like God has done everything that God is going to do. And we just got our suitcase packed and we're just waiting for the glory chain train to pull in and pick us up and take us home. But I want to tell you this morning, God's not finished yet. Do you hear me? God is not finished yet. The best days in this church are not behind us as much as we love them, respect them, and honor them. The best days are in front of us. God is doing a new thing. We say, Lord, whatever you want, we'll do it. Wherever you send us, we'll go. And even then, our minds will probably put in boxes of what we think it is you want to do. And then we'll get blown away that it was bigger than we ever dreamed. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite our prayer team to come. If you're here today and you would like prayer, then we want you to come and we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you, stand along with you, lay hands on you. But over and above that this morning, as the worship team leads us, would you dare make your prayer this morning? God, I want to put my trust into action. Not just for the sake of being reckless, because you can do that too. God, look what I'm going to do for you. Yeah, I don't want you to do that. It's not about doing what we want to do for God. It's about doing what God asks us to do. That's what this is all about. It's about that fresh surrender. It's about believing that there's a new day and a new place and a new thing. And it's fresh and it's exciting. And it may not be in the next book you pull off the shelf at Indigo. But it's in God's book. Yeah, that little church. They're so successful. They're so successful. It's not even a page long. It's not even a whole paragraph. It's just a word. Faith. And say, God, that's, that's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to be a part of. The words that we are singing are so incredibly powerful. 
that it is only your Holy Spirit that can help us want that. And it's only your Holy Spirit that can help us realize that. And God, I believe that you are moving in this place by your Spirit. You are stirring up within us a hunger, a desire. Lord, I believe that there is a longing in us, that there's dissatisfaction, boredom even, longing for something more, something fresh, something powerful that only you by your spirit can make us crave and only by you by your spirit can help us realize. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that as you hover in this room this morning, that you would hover over the chaos of our lives like you hovered over the chaos before creation and the chaos at the Red Sea and the chaos of the tomb and hell's greatest attempt. And you would bring life and hope and purpose and future as you're working in us. God, help us believe to the core of our being that our best days in you are not behind us. Help us not to buy into the lies of Maybe we've sinned too much or we failed too much or we're too old now or Lord, would you just take all those lies away? Would you strip it all away so that we can stand before you and say, whatever you want us to do, we'll do and whatever, wherever you want us to go, we'll go. No reservations. No terms and conditions. We're yours. My life is yours. Use it. Take me somewhere new. Show me something fresh. Oh God, Holy Spirit, would you do that work in our lives this morning so that we can genuinely walk out these doors never again to be satisfied with status quo, but only hunger for what you have for us. Thank you that your work here is not done. Thank you that your work in us is not done. Thank you that your work in this neighborhood is not done. In this town, in the surrounding, it's not done. Thank you for the new opportunities that await us as our, we step out in faith, believing that what you say you will do, you will do it. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to step out in active faith. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.